0: Welcome back to the In a Podcast. You are joining us in the middle of an awesome series on creativity, and the stories here continue to both push and inspire me. My hope in this whole series is that you begin to think about what creation means in your own world, and that these messages land in a way that empowers something inside of you to reignite what makes you unique. Today's guest shared messages that I needed when I interviewed her, and again in the re-listening, and I cannot wait for you to hear her message today. Dr. Monica Burns is a curriculum and ed tech consultant, Apple distinguished educator, and founder of Classtechtips.com. Monica was part of her school's leadership team and was a vocal advocate for bringing one-to-one technology into her classroom. As a classroom teacher, Monica used iPads to create an engaging, differentiated learning experience to meet the unique needs of her students. Realizing the power of digital tools in the classroom, Monica started Classtechtips.com to provide a resource for educators. Since starting Classtechtips.com, Monica has presented to teachers, administrators, and tech enthusiasts at numerous national and international conferences, including South by Southwest EDU, ISTE, FETC, and EduTech. She is a webinar host for Simple K-12 and a regular contributor to EduTopia. Monica is the author of before apps, designing rigorous learning to a tech-rich classroom through ASCD. Hashtag formative tech, meaningful, sustainable, and scalable formative assessments with technology through Corwin. Deep learning with QR codes and augmented reality through Corwin, and co-author of Forty Ways to Inject Creativity into Your Classroom with Adobe Spark. Monica visits schools across the country to work with pre-K through 20 teachers to make technology integration exciting and accessible. In addition to being named an Apple Distinguished Educator in 2013, Monica is graduate of the University of Delaware and Hunter College and completed a doctorate in global education leadership at Lamar University in 2016. In this episode, we learn about how Monica has learned to harness her own creativity while serving others to develop theirs. From her time as a teacher in the classroom to her current reality, Monica inspires us to consider the ways we can tap into our schools, our skills to create experiences that matter. I am really excited for you to learn so much from this strong leader and deeply honored to share with you Dr. Monica Burns' creativity story. Welcome Dr. Monica Burns to the in podcast. I am so excited to have you featured here on the podcast and I can't wait for my listeners to get to know a little bit more about you and myself in the process. Thank you so much for having me. So Monica, I have actually, you've been recommended on this podcast before. We've had a lot of wonderful leaders in ed tech specifically, uh, and they all just love, love, love you. But would you just do me a favor and give the listeners a little bit of background about you, like your current context, what are you up to?
1: Absolutely. So I am in New Jersey, right outside of New York City. I'm a former New York City public school teacher, and I've been out of the classroom for a couple years now, leading professional development, writing about education, technology, blogging and podcasting and all that content creation that goes into that piece and speaking at different events across the country and a couple international spots, too.
0: Well, that's kind of exciting, just jet setting around the world. And I love that you mentioned um, you know, creating because we have you featured here on the series of creativity. And one of the things that I love that you're going to bring this angle is this, I think we kind of get caught up a little bit in this, I'm not a creative person or I can't draw or I can't paint, but we know that creation and creativity is so much more than that. So you just want to share a little bit about kind of your passion for creating and how you influence others?
1: Yeah. So from my kind of behind the scenes of the work that I do, I'm creating myself a lot of content over the course of the week. Sometimes it feels like over the course of a day, if I'm doing um, some front loading for things that are coming down the line. So creation is a big part of my everyday in a way that I wouldn't have quite thought uh, in the past, whether it's prepping for a podcast episode, writing a blog post, or creating video content, which has been new and fun and scary as part of the blogger kind of world um, that I'm in when it comes to sharing content that way. But I think more often about creation from the student side of things. So I work with schools and I work with teachers and I'm bouncing around and sharing ideas in lots of different spaces, but really thinking about creation in the classroom as a way for students to show what they know, share their learning. Earlier this week, I was working within Book Creator with a group of elementary school students and then working with Flipgrid to have students create short video responses. And so the idea of creativity and creation of something, whether it's a digital or a physical product that a student has made, that an educator has made, is really what gets me excited about the possibilities, whether we're thinking about ed tech in general, or we're thinking about ways that anyone can share what they're passionate about.
0: I love that. And I love, I really know that you're going to be opening up the listeners' minds on this. And of course, they all know that I love Brene Brown. So I'll just go ahead and quote her. And I, uh, the only unique contribution that we will ever make in this world will be born out of creativity. So, you know, it's that idea that you're talking about book creator and i and if you could just share a little bit more about that for my listeners, especially those who aren't in education, what that is, just this idea that you're already building um, in young learners, that they can create something unique, um, you know, that we don't just need to consume content, that we can create it. And I love that empowering aspect of what you're doing. So since I already asked, would you share a little bit about what Book Creator looks like and what you do with students with that?
1: Of course. So it is one of my go-to what I call open-ended creation tools. So it's kind of a choose your own adventure space. There's no points to earn or levels to win, right? Those are all great (laughs) things about um, different types of education technology. But typically when I'm, you know, keynoting or leading sessions, I use this phrase tasks before apps, this idea that we want to have a vision of where we're going, give students space uh, to get there and to create and support them along that journey. So Book Creator is just one of many, many open-ended creation tools. I've done some work with their team and I'm a big fan of what their product has become over the past few years in terms of making it easier and accessible on more devices. But it's essentially an ebook creation tool. You know, iBooks Authors, another example for Mac users that does something similar. But I like Book Creator... And often point teachers in that direction because it's free to get started. You could use it on Chromebooks, which everyone has that sort of device and are looking for web-based things right now. And so kids can search for pictures, choose background colors, put their text on the page, use voice to text to make that happen, add narration, add links, and even something that might seem a little fluffy, like choosing which kind of text or what kind of colors or pictures to include, really gives students not just a sense of ownership. Ownership, But they have to make really important decisions when they think about creating for an audience or communicating a message or connecting to the tone or the theme of the piece that they are creating. So there can be a lot of really high level conversations, whether kids are in a tool like that. Or in another open-ended creation tool that help them reflect on the consumption that they take part in every day. So when they come across a YouTube video or a blog post or a podcast episode and they can know what it's like behind the scenes to get there, they can also you know, take that to help them become more critical consumers. I love that so much of what you said because you just really had a lot
0: <laughs> in that response that was so golden. Um, just, but even as somebody who's gone through the publishing process now, by the time this podcast launches, I'll have you know had my own and just this uh, the idea of font and color and all of that being fluffy is really a misnomer, right? Because you know you create something and there's a marketing, there's an appeal, there's like you said, not just for yourself but for the joy of the audience that's going to be looking, and so that comes down. To that authentic piece again, like it's fine to create things just for ourselves. And that's good too. But when you're putting it out there for publication, you really got to be thinking beyond your own uh, lens. So doing that so early, that's really, really cool. I love it.
1: Yeah, it's important to have those conversations because kids are interacting in these spaces outside of school hours, right? They're making decisions based on things that they see in different spaces, whether it's a pre-reading kind of experience where a child notices the logo of something, right? And they see the colors and they know that that's Mott's applesauce, even though they can't read it, but they see the logo, <laughs> which always makes me think of um, my cousin's daughter sitting in front of a menu and just knowing what all the things were because there were pictures, right, that go along with the brand. Um, or it's someone who is looking for information and evaluating content as a middle or high school student and understanding that that audience piece is, is there is really important. And this year I've had the chance to present about school storytelling and school branding so creation that may include some students in the process but is also about what a school leader might do for sharing the story of their school and all of that is about audience too so it's a part of it's a part that really just threads through so many different conversations when we think about what we're making and who's going to see it
0: Mm, yes. And every single thing that you said just applies to every listener, too. You know, we're all consumers. And so you can see those trends. And what's well, just a lot of high level thinking that you're doing, too, with your students. So that's awesome. Thank you for for explaining that a little bit more, too. <laughs> So I'm curious too, uh, um, because I'm thinking about you as a creator and I've seen the work that you put out. So my listeners in education, I sure hope you connect with all the resources that I'll link at the end because Monica, you just give kind of freely of your work. So do you want to talk a little bit about some of the resources that you've created that people can engage with on your website?
1: Absolutely. So my blog, I post uh, several times a week, new content. Some of it's in partnership with different companies that I'm working with. Some of it's original content, some of it's author interviews, because uh, I like to highlight other folks in the space who are, are writing and sharing as well. So it's a combination of information that gives overviews of different ed tech tools, strategies that go along with it, kind of a roundup of different pieces so people can go and search for content from the blog or my weekly newsletter, kind of sums it all up with all the new stuff <laughs> for the week. And then I have a podcast called the Easy Ed Tech Podcast, where every week I break down a strategy or a series of resources and provide an overview of how you might bring this into a classroom environment. Um, much, a good chunk of my audience is not in a classroom as a classroom teacher, but also as an instructional coach or supporting teachers. So set up for kind of P- a K-12 audience, if you will, so people can take things in the direction that makes the most sense for them. And then I have a few books that I've written with ASCD, uh, my Task Before Apps book, And this year, um, or I should say in 2019, I launched the Easy EdTech Club, which is a membership site. So that's kind of another arm of what I've been working on. So lots of free content and then some extra things for people who are looking for a little bit more.
0: Yay, that's so wonderful. I think you said you um, launched out of the classroom, probably, you know, a hard thing to do. Because, you know, our passion as educators is for that you found a way to create a platform for so many more to engage with that. And um, just kind of gifting your creativity to people is I really, really love it. And so do you want to talk a little bit about um, maybe what fueled you to, you know, as a person, uh, you know, some of us, if we have those self-limiting beliefs that we're not able to do creativity or create content, what is it that kind of fueled your passion maybe first to get into education and then maybe what got you to the level you are at now?
1: Well, from the beginning, right, becoming a teacher, especially working with elementary population initially was something that I knew going into my undergraduate degree that I was interested and excited about really enjoyed my experiences student teaching and working with students and went straight into the classroom as a um, upper elementary school teacher. And my biggest drive at that kind of beginning piece of coming into the space of education in general was really thinking about how to best prepare students for the world outside of the classroom whether it's civic engagement, asking questions, being critical thinkers. That was really my motivation before we're talking about any sort of iPads or Chromebooks um, when we're still in overhead projector mode is how I kind of think about it. And so (laughs) my last two and a half years or so in the classroom were one-to-one iPad. So we became a magnet school for environmental stewardship. That was our theme. And part of our line item and budget was for technology. So bringing digital tools into the classroom. So at that time, it was really early on for schools to adapt uh, iPad one-to-one. Now you see it all over the place and in lots of different ways. This is pre kind of Google Classroom or some of the ways we think about Chromebooks or technology in education. And I was asked by Apple Education just in New York City to come to an event they had planned. They asked if I could come and talk a little bit about what was going on in my classroom, share some of the free apps that I was using since we were focused at that point on free resources in my classroom and in my school. And I showed up to this event that I kind of was sold as being, Just talk to a couple teachers, or at least that's what I heard on the other end of the phone, or it took in, and it ended up being a few hundred with us, yeah, with a space for me to plug in my iPad and just jump up on stage. And, you know, I don't have a theater back or high school theater background or a public speaking background or debate team or, or anything like that, you know, beyond leading a classroom of students at that time and just kind of jumped up, shared a whole bunch of things I was excited about. I think everyone knew that I was excited <laughs> about these pieces. And as soon as I finished up, I started getting questions of what's your blog, what's your Twitter handle, where can we get more information on this and I didn't have any answer to that question I was in my own little world um up in 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 South Harlem and this was all the way downtown in lower Manhattan um in a big you know Building, office building, sharing these things. And I didn't really understand what the possibilities would be when it comes to sharing or having an audience myself, or that people were really craving and, you know, running up the aisle to ask me more questions at the end of, right, this presentation that I gave kind of, you know, off the cuff and a sense of just sharing some things I really loved. And so I had an opportunity to reflect on that experience. I started sharing and blogging and that turned into the work that I do now.
0: That is so cool. What a fun story. (laughs) I just picture that any one of us in that spot with, you know, you're thinking you're going to talk to a few and there's hundreds. (laughs) So it sounds like you're in the right spot. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. so good. Um, And so then I'm curious too, what is your favorite part about the current work that you do? I mean, obviously you're speaking and you're writing and you're podcasting and, and all of that. What is it that kind of fuels your deepest passion?
1: I love the flexibility. Of being able to see lots of different things, talk to lots of different people, and then also get a deep dive into certain corners of the work. So, that depth and breadth kind of balance has been really interesting the past few years. And I really appreciate having a more flexible schedule so that I can, you know, go off to work for a full weekend at a conference, but then come home and decompress and have a little less traditional schedule on a couple weekdays of the week and kind of make things kind of chunked out over the course of my week so that I can address projects I'm really excited about that I you know, know that there is a timetable on. And that flexibility allows me to experience things, make decisions if I like something or don't love something, if I wanna spend more time, I don't wanna spend more time on something. And that has been just such a joy the past few years to have that autonomy. Yeah, and
0: I mean, just thinking in regard to what it takes to create, this idea of needing to be able to delve in and do deep work. I think we get so busy, I think in education, especially, uh, and maybe you you can give some really good insight into this because you've worked with so many different teachers in so many different areas and uh, more than teachers, other roles that I think we get so busy and full that we don't have time to just sit and think and process and create. Is that accurate to you?
1: Absolutely. And I don't think that I've appreciated that need for space as much as I do now when I first started this work, because just being able to take a walk (laughs) and not have my headphones in, I'm a really avid all the time podcast listener. (laughs) So like the idea of not having music playing or not having a podcast playing and just Not worrying about a huge to-do list and having the space to think is something that has allowed me to really grow my business, um, to grow the work that I do, to gather ideas that were too noisy right, for me to really focus or think on when I was overscheduling myself or running from one event to the next or not purposely putting you know, the space on my calendar to say this is a week that is a home week, right? After I've been on the road, even if it's just two days a week for the past three weeks, it's disruptive. (laughs) So I need to be in one spot to just catch my breath and to think about things and to plan ahead and get into a good, a good routine.
0: You're just speaking to me right now at a time when I need to hear that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for that. It's wonderful. So, you know, when I think about your experience and the fact that you, led in a space where you were taking on the, um, you know, iPad one-to-one before it was cool kind of thing. And now you're working with people and you're working with a wide variety of audiences that we have the tech and what are we doing with it? Do you find that you're still finding a wide variation in regard to how people are implementing ed tech in their classrooms successfully? I know you're such an expert on this because this idea of task before app kind of thing.
1: There's definitely a range, and I wouldn't say that it is geographical. I wouldn't say that it is because of a particular school's composition. There just is a big variety as you go across the United States, which is the market that I'm primarily working in. uh, That is evident when you walk into a school, you see just like the mine. Set. might be one place, you know, the culture of a school might be in one place where a school just one neighborhood over is completely different. (laughs) So there's just Mm -hmm. a lot of that. And there's wonderful things happening with and without technology in schools all across the country. And so when I go into a school, I tend to work more with beginner and intermediate, getting buy-in, making curriculum connections, sharing resources. As much as I love augmented reality and virtual reality. And there are things that I talk about and incorporate into the work that I do. I'm very sensitive to making things accessible for folks who might not have an appreciation for the power of the tools because they haven't seen something before or might have had a bad experience due to, you know, Wi-Fi connectivity not being easy or classroom management challenges. So, I'm really... Noticing that variety when I go space to space, what integration looks like, even if a school has made an investment in the hardware or even the software that might go along, depending on their tool, really committing to thoughtful planning, strategic curriculum connections. There's a lot of variety there, and it's not something that you can see, you know, on an invoice in the sense of we've purchased these things. So now we have this mindset the same way that that delivery of Chromebooks or that delivery of iPad might be shown, right? When we're looking at line items.
0: That makes so much sense. And I think it's good. Just curious, you know, the, just like that curiosity for myself and for listeners, because I think like you said, you, you can get the tools. Do you find that adults are still... <laughs> more reticent to play around with the tech? Or are we finding that they're getting more and more comfortable to tinker and to play with it? Or do they feel because I know some my experience anyway, in my corner of the world has been teachers, if we're not comfortable with it, we don't want to hand it over to students yet, because we just don't know. And we don't know. But then there's the other mindset too that, um, you know, let the students explore and discover and engage, there's got to be a nice balance there.
1: And the balance is key. right? So we need to have enough confidence, enough experience troubleshooting or just general kind of tech problem solving to feel confident bringing something into a group of students. I will often show off different tools to teachers when I'm leading even a short 60-minute session at a conference or a half-day or full-day workshop. I always want that there to be a hands-on component. And it that's really what i find puts, you know, two and two together and that i can do this, i see why i sh- i might want to bring this in or how this connects to what it i'm looking to accomplish this school year, but even just getting a chance to press some buttons <laughs> and have some support next to you while you do that the first time is huge. i do a lot of work with the adobe spark tools. i've done some work with their team I have a book with lesson activities for them. I love the Spark stuff. And what I will typically say to teachers, even if I'm doing just a quick demo or quick connection to it, or we do a short kind of make and take or hands-on experience, is I'll suggest to them, go home with this movie making tool and the next time you have to make an invitation for a barbecue or you've got a bunch of pictures on your phone from a family event, something that has nothing to do with school, i create and make something that means something to you because then you're going to explore and try and figure out what the button means. Then you're going to know that you can make this thing and you'll start getting your wheels spinning about curriculum connections or oh, this is going to change the way we always do an ecosystem project or instead of our reports that we do on historical figu- figures in the month of March or April, we're going to make a website instead because the kids can search for pictures. And I know this and I'm confident because I made a family newsletter that I sent home or a graduation invitation for a child. And that's part of the process for sure.
0: That's awesome. And and it's so good. And, and you handle that so gently, you know, because we all come to it with different levels of, of comfort and that ability to release or not. And what a great way to to frame it too. And um I say, so one more question before we move kind of into some other like a little bit of a veer off just to talk a little bit more <laughs> about you. Um curious about in regard to the creation tools, I know you've mentioned a few specifics, but do you find um because you're going to different schools and so there's um, you know, Mac versus um Windows and all of that, you seem to have to pivot quite a bit or have there become more universal ways to Like handle the work that you do. I'm assuming as you talk through it and as I'm listening and I'm kind of answering my own question, but for those people who have preferences one way or the other, are there some universal tools that you found that just every teacher loves to use for their students?
1: And what you mentioned is so important, right? When I go to places, I want to make sure everyone walks away with something they can do that's actionable, they can put into practice right away, right? The big ideas, the theory is important and valuable, but we also need to have tools in our tool belt to make it happen. And so if I'm going someplace where I don't know everyone, where I'm, you know, keynoting a conference and I'm not quite sure who's going to be in the audience or I don't know what district is going to be sitting at what table when I'm at a a larger event. I'm really trying to make sure that things are going to work well on whatever anyone's got. And so I will self-select knowing that, saying this has to work on the web. This has to be Chromebook friendly. This has to translate to a mobile experience, even if there's not a mobile app. So there are creation tools that I lean more towards when I'm sharing, but I always try and clarify that these are strategies, but we wanna show them off to you. (laughs) I want you to try them out. You might have another tool that's specific to your device that is a better fit. So if I'm sharing something like Google Slides, which is accessible on many different platforms, right, I'll share if you're using Keynote, if you're using PowerPoint, right, same strategies, the features or the buttons might be moved around a little bit. But what I'm talking about when it comes to bringing in multimedia, and we're looking for images or importing video, right, that can transfer. So when I'm in those environments, I really try and focus on the strategy, and then pull in tools that are what I would call device agnostic or device neutral or BYO friendly, right? So something that's going to work for everyone. But if I'm working with a school or a district and I'm planning specifically with them, what I'll typically ask is, what have you bought and no one is using? What are a couple teachers excited about so that when I leave, they're going to keep talking about that tool? And I'd rather use those spotlight tools than some of the more general ones so that whatever I'm saying resonates with that group, reinforces what they might hear when I'm not there. when it comes to making connections with those strategies. And so that's where my mind goes to when I'm planning for these pieces, because just as you mentioned, there's a large variety and you want things to be relevant no matter who you're talking to.
0: What a great way to frame that. Love it. So, all right, Monica, I am in awe of you. You are obviously a high level thinker, a high level leader, and just have this really great, body of experience behind you. And, you know, when I've spoken to several ed tech leaders on this podcast, I always love that we talk about, um, you know, that... I don't know if you found this, but you're keynoting and everything like that. And I just love that you're a woman leader out there, um, just really doing an awesome job. And I'm so excited to amplify you. And a lot of the other women leaders have expressed that they don't always find connection, um, you know, with other women leaders. And I'm curious about that because you're like, you know, you're working with ISTE and ASCD. Do you find yourself um, seeing more and more women in this space? Or is it kind of the experience that I've heard from the other women on this podcast? Curious about that.
1: Yeah, it's a conversation I have a lot, a lot (laughs) with other women in this space, Um, whether it is over a cup of coffee or in between sessions, or, you know, I came across something that kind of got me a little stirred up and I want to share it or talk with them about it. And so I think that more and more, the representation that you'll see at conferences and events is shifting. I don't think it's there yet. I'm always Cognizant when I'm signing up for an event or looking at what you know an organization has chosen to focus on, what that looks like in terms of composition and whose voices have been there in the past and what they're committed to doing. If I'm signing on early for something, I might not know who their speaker list is, but right, I'll ask who else they're talking to and try and get a feel for their commitment. Uh, to uh, making sure the voices of educators of all different backgrounds are included. And so it's an area where I'm constantly reflective, I'm noticing, and I'm trying to make sure that my relationships, especially with other women in the space, are as transparent as feels good uh, when it comes to talking about those experiences.
0: That's mm, so good. I just love the way you framed that. And it's so important to have a good head about, you know, you in every, in every scenario. And it sounds like you uh, have a really tempered and professional viewpoint of that. So thank you for for being a great model for the rest of us and for being a wonderful leader in that space, you know, in many spaces. I want to ask you these two standard questions that I have for this podcast. So if you were able to write a letter to yourself, Monica, at any age or stage, what would you say?
1: Well, I think that especially from the entrepreneurial small business component of my work and that I've been in for several years now, if I could kind of write that letter and go back to the beginning stages to really remind myself to focus on the big picture and not stress over the day to day things or the noisy things or the things that you can just kind of get yourself caught up in. And I'm not, don't even mean the kind of social media noise or the inbox noise, just that kind of self-talk to say, what does this look like today? Who knows what tomorrow is going to be like? And think more strategically about the big picture and the planning when it comes to that piece, because I've found that that's really where I've had the most success over the past few years as being reflective on what I'm looking to accomplish big picture, as opposed to the more granular to-do list.
0: That's really great advice. I, and I'm sure that we have got some listeners that are needing to hear that right now from you as somebody who's further down the road in a journey. Um, and even, you know, your host could have needed to hear that. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, so the other question I always ask is, as an influential woman, because you clearly are, you're clearly leading in a lot of different areas. What would you say to a listener who's finding themselves in a pit of fear or doubt right now, and they just need to hear Monica's wonderful voice to help them rise up out of it?
1: Well, you mentioned Brene Brown earlier. And you know, one thing that comes to mind when I'm in those moments is to make sure I'm listening to the right people. And that's one of her kind of big reminders is not everyone in your life needs to have an opinion on what you're doing. And if you can focus in on the people whose opinion values, who really understand what you do, who can be a sounding board, right? That's really powerful. There's going to be folks, and I know in the work that I do, it's hard for people to quite understand what my day-to-day looks like. And I'm sure I could communicate that better (laughs) to certain people in my life, right? So taking ownership of that is part of it. But I also know that they don't need to have the full picture or they don't need to be able to explain it beyond just the one or two sentences and that I can go to certain people in my life for feedback and they can help me when I am going through something or not quite sure. And that idea of just listening to the right people as opposed to everyone is something I try to check in with myself about when I'm having those moments as well.
0: That's such good advice. It's really sound and it's a great reminder. I think that we all need, honestly, um, in a a wide variety of ranges in our lives and and, uh, because We need to rely upon other, but others a lot of times, but I like this idea of being discerning and whose voices you're allowing space in your head, really. Um, So that's great. Thank you for that. So I know that you are so really well connected, but I just have some questions about some inspiring recommendations so that we can gain from you. You've already given us so much great value, but do you have anybody that you would recommend my listeners connect with on social media?
1: There are just wonderful folks sharing in social spaces. Um, Jennifer Williams is one of my go-to folks. I'm always seeing what she is doing on Twitter and social. She has a new book called Teach Boldly out with ISTE. So she's one that I follow. And then another one is Robin Jackson. She's on social too, but I get her newsletter. She has a podcast and is a fellow ASCD author. And so those are two folks that I know personally, (laughs) but I'm also always watching to see what they're excited about and what they're sharing too.
0: Oh, very good. Wonderful ladies. So I'll make sure to link them, listeners, so that you can connect. How about a book that you would recommend?
1: One book that I have been listening to, and I've been a big audiobook fan this year, That's was one of my um, kind of big things that I wanted to make sure I was trying out and spending more time in, is the book Range. And it's all about not being niche in terms of when you are of looking at the big picture of bringing all different skills together this idea of being a generalist and using all of that information to right really become special at that, whatever that thing is that you might not know yet so kind of going against that 10,000 hours <laughs> um, suggestion and so that's been one that i've it's really changed kind of my thought process of saying you know when i reflect even on Where I am right now, right? I am using a lot of small skills together that I didn't think I would need to have. Right, those smaller experiences kind of all came together into this one piece of work um, that I'm in now, and so that's one that I really have has helped shift my thinking a bit when it comes to what we're thinking about for students, as well as just reflecting on my own experience.
0: Ooh, that's a gem. I've never heard of that one. I'm excited to look at it myself. So you also said that you are an avid podcast listener. So is there any uh, one? Of course, I'll link yours, of course. But is there any other recommendations that you would make for
1: our listeners? So one podcast that I have to tell you, I, within a 24-hour period, I think I got five different text messages from different women in my life about (laughs) the same podcast. Um, The Dolly Pardons America podcast, uh, it's a series, so there I think are, eight episodes or so, is just changed the way I've thought about so many things in terms of podcast production, storytelling. I've always loved Dolly Parton, and it's not all about country music by any means, but about her story and her impact. And it's just so well done that that's something I can't stop talking about. <laughs> and other people in my life have come to me to text and they know, um, I've, I've said, oh, you have to listen to this. And then they get these whole big text responses all about it. So I am not someone who listens to a lot of narrative podcasts or kind of episodic or the serial type of podcast, but that's one that's really made me step out of my normal uh, podcast listening zone. And so I really love that Dolly Parton's America
0: that's so awesome and I one of my favorite quotes by her is find out who you are and do it on purpose and so it just <laughs> like it ties so well with what we were just talking about too um so I love that thank you and in fact I gotta be honest Monica I've thought a long time about oh, I keep hearing about these you know serial podcasts mm-hmm. or whatever I should check one out I never was interested so that's gonna be my first and I'll be sending you a message about how amazing it is
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm joined in the club. I know I need to put everyone in one big group text about it
0: <laughs> <laughs> the dolly Club. Okay. Well, Monica, I am just so thankful that you took time out of your exceptionally busy schedule. Very good things, you know, important things, not just busy things, but that you would allow me to hear your story to amplify it to others. Uh, It's been such a wonderful experience listening to you and having this wonderful, inspiring um, interview. And so I'm just curious could you share with listeners the best way for them to engage with you after we're done talking here today?
1: Sure. So I am at class. Tech tips on all of the social media platforms. So sometimes folks will send me a DM on Instagram or a message on Twitter. And so ClassTechTips.com is the blog, but ClassTechTips is where you can find me on social.
0: Awesome. And listeners know that I will definitely link that. Sometimes it's nice for the auditory people to hear that.
1: <laughs> so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: All right, Monica. Well, thank you so much for all that you're contributing to this world with the wonderful creations that you make and being a part of this awesome series on creativity and just many blessings to you as you move forward. And all the wonderful projects that you're in. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I continue to be completely awe inspired by every single guest on this podcast. And I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests. And I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.